Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. It's been a few weeks, uh, and so we've got a fair amount to catch up on. Um, I uh, Luckily for me, and for the listener, and for you, um, I had to do all my Chadwick Boseman research. Right during this time. So all the movies you heard me, you heard us talk about with Terrence and thank you for Terrence to Terrence for being on the show. Um, I watched those. I'm not going to talk about those again. We just rehashed them. So that's why I have, you know, I have 16 movies today instead of 25 or whatever I actually watched. I will be talking about one of the Chadwick Boseman movies that we discussed just because I didn't get to talk about the film itself. And I, I wanted to. Okay. So yeah. Uh, but I'm just going to leap right in. Uh, Let's do you, it. You can already read my review of Felita Lloyd's Herself at BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, herself is a movie about a uh, a woman, uh, a wife and mother of two daughters who takes her daughters and gets herself out of an abusive relationship um, and then is sort of uh, uh, stuck in this uh, uh public housing bureaucracy trying to get a more permanent residence for her and and her and her daughters um and decides to basically just build a house herself hey that's the name of the movie um and uh because she she takes a bunch of odd job odd jobs to make ends meet uh during this time and one of them she is cleaning the house uh of a wealthy woman who owns a lot of land and basically like learns about her situation and says hey you know what you can build on my property. Um, um, so in the one hand, on the one hand, it's one of those, like the, the leftist in me hates like the, these, like you could do it yourself to the type of stories that it's like, well, yeah, if you have a rich, rich friend, who's going to give you land, yes, sure. you can do it yourself. But, um, uh, that's not, that sort of complaint would be missing the point of the movie, which is about how, the, the title is actually, I think, meant to be ironic because eventually we she doesn't do this herself. She has the help of this woman. She has other coworkers and, and friends who are willing to donate their time to help her build this house. So it's not something she does herself. It's, it's a movie that's actually about um, something that I do believe in uh, uh, as, as a leftist, which is collective action. And right. that uh, is not and, compulsory. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Oh, okay. So because, that's something I believe in as well is people cooperating and being yeah. and volunteering to be yes. good to each other. Yes. And if you live in the movies, you can be Pollyanna-ish about the, that, but sometimes it maybe needs to be compulsory because it's better for everybody. Um, that's not the point. The point here is that the, as that uh, herself is, a, is a, a movie that I, that I, that I liked. I think it, uh, um, it's about things that I like it, but it also has uh it's not a, it's not like, it doesn't have that made for TV type of uh, mm-hmm. inspirational feel. One of the things that's really interesting about it that, okay, back to political stuff that you'll like um, okay. is that uh, the, this, this bureaucratic, the, the social uh, service that is supposed to help her is unable to help her because it's, it's a one size fits all thing. And that's not how people 
work. So sure. she ends up having to kind of be a little bit duplicitous with the social service. She ends up having to kind of lie to them, but then that ends up, uh, you know, hurting her legally. Um, so, uh, there's uh, I, I like that the movie's not, not, not squeaky clean and has, uh, uh, various points of view on these, uh, on these topics. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. Next up, uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of pinkos like myself, uh, I watched a Russian movie called dear comrades. Nice. Well, there you go. Uh, although this is not definitely, definitely not again, politically, I think you would find more, uh, to agree with in this movie than I would, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, direct, the director's name is Andre, uh, Konchalovsky, who is a, a, a Russian director who's made a lot of movies and then very weirdly, <laughs> um, uh, wait, what am I, what am I looking at? Um, now I'm missing out on on something uh oh you know what i think that was a imdb mistake oh oh here it is here it is okay okay so uh, a lot of movies including when he was on the contributors to the 1995 omnibus film lumiere and company which i'm sure you uh, have seen the box for at the video stores that he worked at maybe not um hmm. but uh and then among all these like uh uh prestigious Russian art house movies, he also directed Tango and Cash. Wait, what? I know, right? It's very strange. That really sticks out. Yeah. <laughs> uh but no, uh Dear Comrade. Which one was the, which one was the passion project and which one's the sellout? <laughs> That's the question. Uh, but, uh, dear comrades, it's like, I guess a bit of historical fiction based around a, a, a real incident that happened in June of 1962 in the Russian town of, um, I think Novotcherkask. And basically, uh, a bunch of, uh, workers went on strike and demonstrated. And then the, either the KGB or the army or both opened fire on them and, and killed a bunch. And then, uh, you know, because they're the state the state controlled media and everything completely made it go away. It was never reported on. It was never investigated until 30 years later after the, uh, wall fell or after yeah. the wall, after the, uh, the, I say after the wall fell, but after the Soviet union collapsed, yeah. um, it was investigated. We still don't really know how many people died. Um, but the, the story of the movie is uh, the uh, the main character is a party official, a, a high up true believer named uh, Liuda, and her daughter is one of the demonstrators who, after the demonstration, doesn't come home. She's not mm-hmm. among the eight bodies that they actually have at the morgue because most of the bodies they threw onto trucks and buried in unmarked graves, graves and cemeteries outside of the city. Um, she, she's not there. So she basically starts using her, uh, connections to try and find out if her daughter is alive or not, you know, cause a lot of these people, a lot of people are, a lot of the demonstrators are just hiding out until the heat dies down or whatever. So she's hoping that's, that that's what's happening. But she's also in doing this, she's going against, uh, you know, all of her, all, all of her colleagues, her comrades, her uh, the other fellow party officials and government officials are saying nothing happened. This didn't happen. There's how can we help you investigate this when there's nothing to investigate because nothing yeah. happened. Um, 
it's a it's a very a very good movie. The movie I'm describing probably sounds very harrowing, and I think by the end it is. But also the. I, I was reminded of the death of Stalin in the early massacre part because it is, it borders on dark comedy, especially it almost when- has to <laughs> like it, because it's just so anytime you deal with like Soviet Russia, of course it's the most horrific thing ever. And yet there has to be an element of like absurdity. Really? Yeah, that's what it is. Cause yeah. there's uh, the, um, the the party officials are are meeting to say what are we going to do with these demonstrators and while they're there the demonstration surrounds the building they're in and so they have to sneak out through the sewers and even like as they're sneaking out through the sewers they're still pointing fingers at of blame like everyone is trying to find the one person in the town council to blame so that the larger uh party you know yeah. uh has a scapegoat and uh, so like even as they're crawling into the sewers they're arguing about who's really to blame it's that's uh that's kind of funny there's also obviously um a bit of irony to the idea that you know every third second or third bit of soviet propaganda is about strikes and about the workers yeah. and then when it actually happens they're like how could these they, they call them like idiots they're like completely uh, yeah. uh dismissive of the actual workers in the town of novotcherkask yeah. um anyway uh yeah i really liked the movie uh, it's really good from the director of Tango and Cash. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, the, uh, okay, so the movie's called Dear Comrades. Now, according to IMDb, it's called Dear Comrades. According to the on screen title, it's called Dear Comrades. Ah, okay, yes. IMDb Which definitely. Did not transcribe the exclamation point. IMDb not always, not always correct. People, I think, get sometimes view it as like the, the end all be all, but uh, it can yeah. be edited and stuff can be incorrect. Um, so I watched uh, a movie that I, I think you would like, uh, from a political standpoint, I still liked it. Uh, it's, uh, the trial of the Chicago seven, uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. You really think and, I'd like, do you, okay. You think I'd agree with it. Do you actually think I'd like the movie? You know, I'll, I think yes, because I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Uh, I did not care for Molly's game and neither yeah, did you. Yeah. Um, I think he has definitely from a visual standpoint and, de- and from an editing standpoint, it's a wonderfully edited film. Um, I think he started, he started to embrace the craft of filmmaking as opposed to just relying on the screenplay though. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of that. Uh, and I think the fact that this is more ensemble based really helps it. And he's got a, a, a good stable of actors, including among others, you know, Mark Rylance, and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen playing Abby Hoffman, who I think does a pretty good job. It's, you know, it's Aaron Sorkin. So you you go in and you know it's going to have a very specific point of view and there's going to be little tee-ups, you know, so that a character can like dunk on another one. (laughs) And it does have that, but only occasionally is it like to an eye rolling degree for the, for the most part, he's written the characters in, in such a consistent way from one scene to the next, that when that happens, it doesn't seem like the writer is saying, look at what I've done here. Uh, it actually seems like something that could conceivably come out of these characters, like good, like really good episodes of the West wing where it's like, yeah, that was a clever line, but you know, what? I totally believe that that character would say that at that moment. Um, it's, I mean, it's not a, a, a perfect film. I think 
uh, certainly as it gets towards the end, like there's, you see a lot of those tee ups and, and they're really blatant and obvious. And, but up until then, I think, uh, he relies on his cast and I think he is willing to, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being naive, but as you know, like I'm, I'm not one to give somebody a pass just cause I like some of their other work, especially when I have actively disliked some of their other work. Um, I, I, as a director, like as a writer, he gives you what you expect as a director. I think he has really, uh, it's, I'm not sure if I'd say it's to the point where you feel like he has a directorial voice, but he definitely is making tremendous progress from a cinema cinematographic standpoint. Mm. And, and I think you would like it. And I, I think there are moments okay. of humor, uh, moments of, of uh drama and yeah i think and certainly uh it's it's rel it's politically relevant an argument could be made at you mentioned the co the concept of being pollyanna ish i think aaron sorkin can be that yeah. obviously uh and so i think there is some of that here but uh but i think actually even just in the last few days the film has become more relevant uh than uh, than it was even when he made it so i think i i'd be curious to, i don't again i don't necessarily love it but i think you would like it okay um it wasn't on my to watch list uh i would suggest putting it on your to watch okay. list okay uh, you know what I would not suggest putting on your to-watch list? What's that? Uh, George Clooney's The Midnight Sky. Oh. Uh, it's a total snooze. <laughs> um, now, I tend to like things... I feel like... I feel like I have a higher boredom tolerance than you do. But I don't mean boredom like... I like slow cinema. Sure. You know? Um, uh, I like... You know the the Verk Meister harmonies is the uh, the example classic sure. battleship pretension example that we always uh, talk about. I, I I like those kind of movies a lot. Um, I don't mean it's slow. I mean just that it's dull. Okay. Um, and it's uninteresting, and therefore I'm bored. Like I could be bored by movies where a lot of things are going on when they're uninteresting. You know, right. I found. Uh, this is a movie no one ever talks about or even remembers, but uh, do you remember real steel, the robot boxing movie? Oh my yes. That, yes. I mean, that movie has tons of stuff going on and I was bored from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, so I, when I say boring, I don't mean slow. I just mean things that are not of interest to me. <laughs> um, and a lot of it is being uh, unoriginal. And so this is yet another like, uh, end of the world type of, uh, of movie. Uh, uh, George Clooney plays a scientist who's the last man who uh, uh, left at this Arctic research station while something terrible has happened to the rest of the world. We don't know. The movie starts with the words on screen three weeks after the incident. And I was yeah. already like, yeah, I was like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been listening. Uh, there's a, um, there's a podcast called 372 pages. We'll yeah. never get back. Um, co-hosted by Mike Nelson of uh, mystery science theater. And uh, you know, after a while they read, they started out reading uh, ready player one, but they, they have gone through all kinds of books and they were reading a book by Sean Penn. Imagine a satirical oh. novel by Sean Penn. Yeah. Oh, what's that yeah. called? I uh, Bob honey who just do stuff. Yeah. Even the title is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so like there's a thing that they will occasionally do, uh, 
sort of like a stamp for whenever a, a, an author gets a little too precious. And of course, with this book, it's all over the place where they say, calm down. <laughs> and and like that's the first instinct I had when you just said that is calm down. We're, we're um, good. It, it, it also, do you remember <laughs> um, uh, the comedian and actor now, uh, Brett Gelman? used to do a yeah. bit called eye brain. Did you ever see him do the eye oh brain my story? God. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's is like so, so wonderful. And I don't want to talk about where it goes, but uh it starts out as a parody of very bad science fiction. And then the science fiction where he's like as he walked home, he found himself trying to remember what a polar bear looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and then the character names yeah, yeah oh it's yeah. a wonderful wonderful bit um okay, sorry yeah. go on and anyway uh that's that's what the three weeks after the incident thing made me, made me think of so then okay so uh humanity's last hope is a team of uh scientists who are coming back from a mission to some until recently undiscovered moon of Jupiter that might be yeah. habitable because they're like, we're going to bring humanity back, but, uh, but they don't know there's no humanity left to bring back. It's just okay. George Clooney. And he's got to get a message to them that says, turn around, start, start civilization again over on yeah. that planet. Don't come back here. Um, so to do that, he's got to travel to another or he's got to travel acro across the Arctic to another uh, uh, station. And just before he's getting ready to do that, he, he he turns around in the kitchen. Turns out one of the other researchers who who abandoned the station before the incident accidentally left their kid behind. So now he's got a child in tow, and guess what? She can't talk. Yeah, yeah. He's got a little mute moppet that he's got to lug across the Arctic. Um, oh it's, yeah, I don't it's such like an this obvious device. Um, the stuff on the spaceship, I guess, is a little uh, a, a little better. Um, uh, uh, you've got like uh, Damien Bashir, um, and you've got Kyle Chandler. Okay, I love Kyle Chandler, mm -hmm. and um, uh, there's a I don't, I don't want to go too uh, far into uh, the I want to move on in a second, but just uh, there's a, 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 a just a, an example of Kyle Chandler having a normal line and just putting a little bit of that Kyle Chandler, you know, uh, mustard on it that makes it, uh, <laughs> that, that makes it memorable. There's, uh, and I almost can't even do it. So there's a running thing on the, one of the people on this, in this crew is pregnant and they've just found out their good, their daughter's going to, or their, their child's going to be a daughter. And so there's a running thing throughout the movie of the other characters suggesting baby names, which is something that happens to pregnant women or whatever. Sure. And, um, uh, Kyle Chandler says hyacinth. And, uh, one of the characters is like a hyacinth. And he goes, and he's like, it was my mother's name. And then there's no answer. And he, and he says, the line is it's a flower, but he says it like, defensive like it's a flower it's, <laughs> it's a great little moment it's it's uh, uh unfortunately it's one of the few moments of the movie that i really liked and it felt sort yeah. of uh natural um and uh and human and emotional all right let's move on to another movie uh apropos of nothing and this is not uh everything else i'm talking about is something mostly uh, something that i watched either to review or because it's the uh, the holiday season sure uh, but I, I watched a 1992 film uh, called Just Another Girl on the IRT, um, which I, I had to look up uh, what IRT means, and I've already for forgotten. Um, 
but uh, it's a it's an outdated name for a certain line of the New York uh, subway train or whatever. Okay. Um, and this is directed by Leslie Harris, uh, and it's it has it that very in a good way, very early nineties, New York indie movie. It feels like running gun shot on the fly. Like a lot of non-professional actors, a lot of like, um, almost not quite direct address to the camera, but like uh, a lot of scenes, the movie eventually has a story, but uh, a lot of scenes just seem to be, we're going to capture this slice of life, except you're clearly telling real people to like talk like you would. And they're playing it up. It feels like unrealistic, but also very much it's, it's uh, like, like uh, the Tyrell corporation more human than human. It's like somehow by, by getting real people to pretend to be themselves, you end up getting at something more true about themselves than if you were just filming them talking in a way. Does that that make sense? Sure. Um, so there's a lot of great scenes. It's, it's about a, a high school girl who, uh, um, is a lot of, uh, has a lot of promise. Uh, she's one of the smartest kids in her, in her class. She's very outspoken about, uh, issues about race to her, to her, uh, uh, white teacher. Um, uh, and then she starts seeing a new guy, uh, as well. And then the, the, I don't want to give away the, the story from there, but, uh, the movie goes from being very, it's always full of life, but it's very, it's often very funny uh, in the, in the early scenes when you've got her and her, she and her friends talking about like uh, talking about sex and, and condoms and clearly being ill-informed. Sure. Um, uh, and that's kind of, uh, kind of uh, funny. And then you've got her ex-boyfriend who still uh, uh, likes her, but is so mad that she's seeing this new guy. And there's a part <laughs> it's at a party that he's at and then he sees her with her new guy and he's so angry that he grabs a handful of pretzels and just throws it in his face. Like he tries to angrily <laughs> eat a handful of pretzels, but only like one goes in his mouth. He's like, <laughs> um, so it's a lot of fun. It's, and then I, I don't want to say what happens. The movie gets uh, a little heavier uh, uh, in the second half, but um, I was talking, I watched it with Natalie uh, and, and she, my wife, Natalie, and she was, uh, uh, she was talking about how uh, she she felt frustrated about the movie for reasons that I feel like are, are why the movie is good is she felt mm. very frustrated with the character because I think this is a great depiction of a teenager who is, like I said, top of her class, very smart, very independent. And then when it comes to other things, you know, sex and romance and relationships and stuff like that can be like, ignorant to the point of like this is willful like sure like this is frustrating how like you you're smart enough to know what's going on here but like is lying to herself or it's like it's i think it's uh so it's a movie that my my wife found very frustrating i would say that frustration is intentional and is a symptom of the movie doing its job very well I, i i really really enjoyed it okay uh is it my turn Yes. All right. I watched a movie I know you enjoy. It is John McPhail's Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I, um, I enjoy this movie quite a bit, and I yeah. love those songs. Yeah. Uh, I liked the movie uh, with moments of love. And I think one thing that I really like is that the film, 
I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for when one genre encroaches on another. Uh, but just because, just because that other genre is here doesn't mean it stops being this other thing. So for example, uh, this is a it's it's a high school musical situation where just these characters are singing about their their problems then a zombie apocalypse happens and so then their songs become specific to to the zombies and it's one of those things where it's just like well look we live in a musical universe and uh, just because zombies show up that doesn't change anything so they're not they're not even singing in defiance of what's happening but i like that it's not like the music starts when the zombies show up. It's this is what, this is what we're dealing with this kind of genre. And then something else comes in that will alter what we're singing about, but is not going to change the fact that we're singing. Um, so I really like that. And I think a lot of the songs are, are a lot of fun. Um, a lot of the sequences are, are fun. Uh, there are a couple moments that, that obviously, um, owe more than a little bit to other, uh, not just zombie movies because obviously it's it's a it's an homage but uh but zombie comedies like the moment where she is uh exiting her house and all the zombie mayhem is happening behind her and she doesn't <laughs> seem to notice it that's maybe a little too Shaun of the dead for for my taste even though it's executed very well yeah sean's um, not sean's hung over or whatever he's not singing a song about sure. how she's, he's going to turn over a new leaf and yeah but whatever the, whatever the situation again it's it's a fine sequence but it's I don't know. It's uh, I was definitely put in mind of this other thing that was itself uh, co- sort of commenting on like, how could somebody be so oblivious to what's happening around them? Um, but uh, there, there, but there are a couple moments. This is something that, um, that you'll find like movies that will, that will try to parody a genre often will find themselves falling into what makes that genre so effective. Mm. Um, and so here, I mean, even though we're laughing, we're still invested in the characters. We still want them to do okay. Uh, yeah. We want them to live. But um, I don't think this movie is a parody. Not a parody, but like a, a comedic retelling. Yeah. And and I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as say a send up, but it could be seen that way. Um, it is relying on you knowing the 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 genre tropes. For sure, but like you said, that's and, more homage. That's not like, I don't sure. think it's trying to, the laughs aren't like, aren't zombie movies stupid. I don't, I don't think that's the, what the movie is. Trying no, to no, say. no, not at all. And I don't think a parody necessarily, I think, I think okay. parodies can be quite loving. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, but there's, there's a moment where, uh, this guy that she used to be with, or maybe even hooked up with just once, I don't know exactly, but, uh, he has shown up and he's, he's kind of an asshole and, and all of that. Uh, and there comes a moment where it's revealed that he has had to kill his own father who was a zombie. And there comes a moment, I guess spoilers, the movie's a few years old, but I guess spoilers, there's a really nice moment. And the, and we don't really like this guy, but there comes a moment where Anna's in a position of killing her own father. And, and this guy says, don't, you don't like, he doesn't say like, you don't want to do that, but that actor really, really puts a lot into that. And without him saying, it's like, I've been this, I've done this where you you think you're helping someone from being a zombie, but you're the one that's going to have to live with this and you don't want to. And that's like a real zombie movie moment that really worked for me. Uh, and so by and large, I think the film is, is 
there, there are times when I just wasn't really responding to it, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and I, I, uh, certainly if people like musicals or if they like zombie movies or both, uh, check it out. Um, yeah. And the, the, um, the music's really good. I, I have to say, yeah. um, I've, uh, uh, I've, I, I have the soundtrack on vinyl. I've listened to it, uh, quite a bit. The song, like, it's interesting what, when you watch a musical, which songs, like when you watch it, the ones you like best, right? Because you like, like the Hollywood ending is a song in this movie that has a b- sure. great, it's a great, it is, it's a, it is a good song. Uh, it's one of one of the better songs in the thing, but I thought it was my favorite because it has this great choreography and, and it's, and it's super fun. And it's also like the introduction to a lot of characters. Um, but weirdly the song, when I just listened to it on its own, the song that, uh, when they're all just like waiting out the time at the bowling alley and they have that's that song, it, that's uh, on its own. That song is so good. It's called human voice. Yeah. Uh, I've listened to it a lot. All right, let's, um, let's move on. I also enjoy the penguin song. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's hilarious. It's um, uh, officially it's fish rap is what fish, it's okay. called. That's what it's called on the, how it's listed on the album. Uh, all right, man, this is what, I, okay. The problem with doing these uh, waiting weeks to do movie journals. I'm like, Oh yeah, that movie. And then I have to f- try to remember what uh, I felt about it. Cause I, so I watched Paul Greengrass's news of the world. I liked it. I wrote a positive review. Um, I don't really know what else to, to, <laughs> to say about it. Um, right. God now. knows we have enough movies to talk about. We can move on and people can just uh, read your review. Yeah. I would definitely say, uh, read the review. No, I feel like I, I, I should say, um, yeah. uh, some things, uh, uh, about it um it's a i you know i like movies that are about or i guess i like stories that are about stories it's something i've talked about before and and uh uh tom hanks here plays a character whose job is to travel from town to town in the old west and read the news to people people pay a dime or whatever and you know because they can't read it because they don't have the time to to do it all or just because he does it in, in uh, an interesting way um uh, he, he reads the news and, 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 uh, one thing, the movie, the movie doesn't hang a lantern on this. I, I don't think, but, uh, you see the, the handful of times you see him do this in, in the movie, uh, you see him go from like the first time he's doing it. He's just like, I've got bad news. Like this law passed, it's going to fuck with your like property things. And there was a, uh, flood that killed 17 people or like mm. it's just bad news and then as it goes on the way he delivers the news ends up like you see him turning it more into stories like he's sure. he's 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 doing and some of this he's doing more human interest but he's actually framing it as a narrative uh and uh, and, and, and so, like I said, the, the movie doesn't, that's not the point of the movie. The movie has a whole other thing about how he's, uh, traffic. He's, he's, uh, taking a girl who was kidnapped by, um, a native American tribe when she was young, uh, back to her only living relatives. But of course she, um, has only known, you know, this other life. So to her home is with her, her, her tribe. That's the, what the movie's about. Uh, but you see, uh, as his, his attitudes change as the movie's attitudes change. You see it become more about him telling stories than just delivering bad news. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I, I like that approach. That sounds right. very interesting. 
Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, another movie um, that I watched and reviewed called Night of the Kings. Uh, now, this is a movie that, uh, well, I, sh- I, I feel like I, uh, I, I blew it too early by talking about storytelling because here's a movie that's literally about storytelling. Um, it, it takes place in a real uh, prison in the Ivory Coast, but once you get into that prison, it sort of becomes a fantasy world. Um, not actual fantasy, but within the prison, there's a hierarchy and there are rituals and traditions and stuff that you realize like, Oh, this is, this is fantasy storytelling. Just, just imprinted on a prison situation. And so you've got this young, um, uh, this young uh, man who's been sent to prison for the first time. And uh, almost as soon as he gets there, he gets anointed by the leader of the prison to be the new storyteller. And guess what? That night is the night of the red moon, which is the night that the storyteller has to entertain uh, the rest of the prisoners uh, all night long until, uh, until sunrise uh, with, with stories. And so, um, it, you know, we're kind of getting the lay of this, this prison and the lay, oh, there are B and C plots, but the, uh, the main thing is just this young man telling stories of his life and of the life of the criminals that he ran with before he got arrested. And those stories do have fantastical elements to them. And we see them, um, you know, we get not flashbacks, but dramatizations, what what's I'm looking for, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, uh, um, you, you get little flights of fancy of, of seeing these stories uh, illustrated. Um, Night of the Kings is the movie, and I really liked it. Also, right, so you need to read my review. Sorry. So next up for me is is a Chadwick Boseman movie that, that I did want to talk about because it's also a, a recent film, and that is uh, George C. Wolf's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I don't want to talk too long about because I did already talk a little bit about it on the actual episode. But, uh, you know, performances are, are great. It's based on an August Wilson play. Uh, and obviously, we were talking a lot about Chadwick Boseman, whose performance is quite good. Uh, Viola Davis is just, I mean, I, I've, like so many other people, I, I've liked her as an actress for many, many years. Even for, she was, uh, she had like one scene in Out of Sight in 98. And uh, she, she's been around a while and she's always reliable. But like in this, there it's just such a, flamboyant fun performance that just that is also not it's hard to explain it's not safe like you you feel like you have an idea of what she's going to be like and then when she finally like when she starts talking when she enters a room you're just like oh i don't actually know what to expect from her and it's a really great like very lived in very in the moment performance um as far as the film itself i think i think i probably should watch it again um, because it's, it's so stagey and it so feels like a play, um, which, you know, it is a play, so th- that's fine. That's their prerogative. They want to make it feel like that, but it definitely like just the acting style of, of all the actors. Um, I don't mean to suggest that they're bad. We've seen many of them play things down, but just the, the way that they interact, it just, I, I feel like I was sitting watching it on stage you could see the dynamic there's a very specific type of dynamic that like a group of people have when they're all like joshing each other on stage i don't know what it is it could be neil simon it could be uh whatever but like 
there's just such a specific dynamic and that's what they have. And that dynamic is uniquely theatrical and that's not an inherent problem, but it did take me out of it for a little bit. So I think now that I know what the film is and that it is maybe self-consciously theatrical, I should probably watch it again and, uh, and just kind of accept it for what it is. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I liked it a lot. I was not, um, uh, I fully embraced the theatricality, but, um, uh, I will say that Natalie felt the same way that you did about okay. the theatricality. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, next up, for me is oh man wonder woman 1984 which okay. i watched and wrote a review and published a review and i was like feel good about that and then the internet discourse about wonder woman 1984 went crazy of, of stuff that i yeah. um some stuff that i feel like um you're you're missing the point there's a lot of like uh would that really have happened does the uh, does the Smithsonian really work like that? Or uh, wouldn't he, if he were from world war one, blah, 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 that stuff. I hate that stuff. Um, yeah. But there were other complaints about the way that the movie um, d- depicts uh, Arab characters in particular and colonialized people in general that I, mm-hmm. that I uh, am sad to say, I didn't really think that much about while I was watching the movie. And I think those, those complaints are, um, uh, are absolutely, uh, valid, but, um, that's not what so I'm going to tra- talk It's about trying today. to embrace the style of a movie na- made in 1984 as well. <laughs> in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm not going to focus on that. What I'm going to focus on is Patty Jenkins just makes the kind of superhero movies that I like, mm. which is, you know, I mean, I like a lot of different superhero movies, but, uh, Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman movies, I think, are the best superhero movies since Sam Raimi's first two Spider-Man movies. That is, mm. That's my uh, that's my contention. Um, and it's because it's the same thing. Like, I feel like so many other... And, I, and rightfully, I understand why a lot of the Marvel, like Captain America and stuff, is like, I have super, superhero powers now. That means I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to use my superpowers for, for good and to defeat evil. And that's good. That's right. That That's a good impulse to have. But Sam Raimi and Patty, Patty Jenkins also kind of get this, the, the, that feeling of like, if you had superpowers, wouldn't it be cool to just be able to like jump super high sure. and swing around? Like there's a, there's a sense of, of expansive, like freedom to, yeah. to wonder woman and, and to the way that she moves through the world that I just find, uh, so uh so intoxicating and the um the the invisible jet makes an appearance uh i've uh, heard that yeah and the invisible jet sequence now this goes back to the idiot uh nitpickers uh on on twitter who um took issue with the way that the jet becomes invisible that to me like you're missing the point an invisible jet is in and itself <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the way that she uses the invisible jet which is to like she, uh, they're flying it on fourth of july so they're flying an invisible jet through fireworks so they're like in the basically hmm. in the middle of the sky looking up at fireworks it's so awesome and so beautiful and to me uh people who take issue with uh how the jet became invisible or whether or not it was um, satisfactorily established that it was the 4th of July before that sequence are those people must be no fun to hang out with. Yeah. 
Uh, it does make you, it's, uh, this is something that uh, a few months ago, I was talking with uh, Brad Jones, the cinema snob, and we were just talking about, you know, YouTube videos and, and critics uh, or just viewers who point out that kind of thing. And I understand like, you know, if something takes you out of it, that's, that's fine. But after a while, it's like, what are you watching movies for <laughs> at that point? Like just yeah. consistency. Uh, I don't know. It's cause that does sound. Yeah. Are you exhausting. watching this movie? Are you auditing it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Um, next up I watched, Oh, this is absolutely going to end up being one of my favorite documentaries of, of the year. Um, uh, Michael Dweck and Gregory Kershaw's The Truffle Hunters. Uh, and they, a few years ago, made a documentary called The Last Race, which was one of my favorite documentaries of the year. And subject matter-wise, it would seem like the two movies have nothing in common. The Last Race is about an independently owned stock car racetrack on Long Island. The Truffle Hunters is about uh, men in northern Italy whose uh, job, I guess, or or whose way of life is that they go out into the forest with their truffle-sniffing dogs and, and dig up rare white truffles uh, to sell uh, at the uh, the market. But they're, they're both uh, very curious. Uh, bo- both movies are very curious about a very specific way of life in a way that is comes close almost to seeming like it's making fun of it, but actually really loves these these people and sure. uh, so there's a lot of both movies neither one of those des- de- descriptions that i gave you sounds like a comedy both movies are very funny uh but also the stock that stock car uh track it's called the last race for a reason the owners sold it it's now like a there's like a best buy there or something now um and similarly these truffle hunters this is a dying way of life these men uh, are in their like the you know the younger the youngest of them is like in his in his 60s but like some of them are in their like mid 80s um uh and and so it's they're both about very tiny subcultures that are kind of dying out um the truffle hunters is uh a movie that gets a lot of you you go to love these guys they're they're the, the these old men they're very very uh, idiosyncratic uh but the dweck and kershaw also show you some of the lives of the people who buy the truffles from them and sell sure. them on the market and then the like the gourmet end of things where these truffles end up there's a <laughs> there's a shot there's like a truffle auction and you know what a truffle looks like when like before it's like Served. not really no it just looks like a huge like a big misshapen potato or just like a whitish brown rock it's okay it's ugly and bulbous and uh and dirty looking right and so there's this auction where they've got first you see the, the, stand, uh, the static shot the camera's like on the table they've got a pedestal with a uh, like a velvet pillow that they've put this truffle on and then you see the auction people like fussing over the two wine bottles they're putting on either side of the truffle like which way like how to angle them you know how how much of the label which way should the label be facing yeah. and then you see before the auction starts the people who are potential bidders get to come one by one in line come up and sniff the truffle so it's just like <laughs> these <laughs> these rich people taking turns just bending over and smelling this big ugly rock thing. like an odd kind of communion yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, that's very funny and also couldn't be further from the like, 
you know, ratty uh, sweaters yeah. and mud caked uh, trousers of these men who go out into the woods in the middle of the night with their dogs. Um, and that's the other thing. There's, this is a movie for dog lovers. They're, the dogs are so fucking great in this movie. Um, I honestly, by the time, and I don't think this is me. I think this is intentional. By the time the movie was over, I could have named more dogs than I could have named in the people in the movie because of course dogs are always being called by their name. So, uh, of course. uh, but there's also like a dog cam where they, uh, they, mm. they strap a GoPro to, to, to a dog. Uh, it's a, it's a very, very beautiful, um, uh, and, and fun and funny, uh, and cute movie. Uh, I, I love the truffle hunters. All right. So next up for me, uh, the next few for me are actually going to be rewatches, uh, starting with a movie that is, it's not a Christmas movie, but it's very snowy and I hadn't seen it in a while. And that is the Coen brothers Fargo, um, which I've, I've seen multiple times, but it has been, it had been a long time since I saw it. And there's, there's just something about this movie that is genius while not seeming it. It seems on some level, very straightforward and, and fairly, you know, kind of a small story. And yet, whether it be the cinematography or Carter Burwell's music, there's just something operatic about it. And I love that. I love that it finds the, the, the drama in the lives of these people that, are could often could be held up for ridicule uh, the way they talk and the way they, they approach things. Um, but the Coen brothers who are not necessarily opposed to caricature, they still try to accept these, these characters on their own level and what they value and, and the predicament that they're in, you know, I mean, this is, William H. Macy was nominated for supporting actor, but I think an argument can be made that he and Francis McDormand are both leads. Um, especially, you know, if, if there is, if there is a lead, it's, it's, I guess it's her, even though she doesn't show up for a while, he's in it yeah. throughout. Uh, and it's just so it's, it's just so tough, like watching him who has made all these terrible decisions and has done very immoral, horrible things. Uh, and yet somehow we, because he seems like such a nice guy where it's not that we're necessarily on his side, but I feel bad that he made those choices, uh, or that he felt that they were necessary. And then by the end, one thing that I never quite thought about is that like, I feel so terrible for his kid, uh, because over the course of this movie, the kid Scotty has had his entire family ripped from him Mm -hmm. and it's moments like that, like that. I, I think the older I get, the more I appreciate stuff like that. Cause up to this point, I'd never thought about it, about his perspective. And he's not much of a character in this, in that we don't spend a lot of time with him. but, um, but yeah, it just, it, it's, it's a very empathetic film and it gets you thinking about all these different people and gives you these little vignettes with characters that we only see once and never see again. It's just such a strange and wonderful movie with tremendous heart and obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of humor and extreme violence. And yeah, it's, uh, there, there's no question in my mind that it is my favorite Coen brothers movie. Um, but, 
yeah, it's if you haven't if you haven't watched it in a while, check it out because it's it just it will always yield something. Do you have a favorite one scene character? Because I feel like the, I, to me it probably changes every time I watch the movie. But as of my most recent viewing, I love the bartender guy shoveling his driveway. Oh yeah, the cop it's, goes it's, out to it's him. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I used to do I used to do his little story as a monologue. Um, <laughs> oh really? And uh, you know, and he's like, so you know, Miss Amora, uh, Miss Amora heard about those killings and said I should call it in. So I called it in End of story. When I'm going crazy up there at the lake and the cop is like, would that be whatever? Like he's like, Oh no, this lake is closer. So I made that assumption. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, and then that's, that's it. It goes, Oh, it looks like it's going to turn cold tomorrow. And then he goes, yeah, there's a front coming in. And he goes, Oh yeah, you got that right. And just this, the idea that in the midst of that's one of the things that I like about it is you get such an atmosphere, a sense of, of place uh, where yes, there t- there's this very important bit of information, but these characters, you know, are still casual with each other and can still chat about the weather and Oh, what a wonderful movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to Pete doctor and Kemp powers soul. Okay. Pixar movie. Have you seen this yet? Not yet. I, okay. I want to. I've heard mostly good things. Yeah, and it, I would say it is mostly good. It's good. Okay. Like it's, it's good, but it's all. It also feels like. It feels like cookie cutter Pixar in a lot of ways, which I'm not necessarily like. In and out, or in and out. That's the Kevin Klein movie. Yeah. Uh, Inside Out kind of feels that way, but I like Inside Out more. Um, uh, maybe just because it's subject matter is something that I'm more emotionally, uh, uh attached to, but, um, the, so I, I really love the look of, uh, of the movie, the, the, the kind of warm, like, uh, there are shots that look like they're almost photorealistic, but not quite like it still has that. It's not trying to be photorealistic. It's its own sort of idyllic for vision of, of the city. In fact, I like that, uh, uh, almost, Ugh, I was. I gotta find a better comparison than Woody Allen because uh, we don't like Woody Allen now. But that Woody Allen sort of autumnal New York, like sure. uh, applying what we tend to think of that like idyllicness that we tend to apply to like small town America, finding that in New York City, I think is is something that uh, um, Woody Allen did. Unfortunately, uh, sorry. You could reference uh, the movie <laughs> Autumn in New York never saw that neither did i i assume it's pretty autumnal um but uh, as we learned from budget horseman released in theaters in august uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the things you learn from that show it's yeah. fascinating <laughs> um uh so yeah I, I i like the the look of it it's funny enough i definitely like i felt when i wrote my review i felt like really challenged because it's the kind of movie I don't want to give away much of the plot about. And clearly from their marketing, I don't know. It seems like they're not giving away too much. And the reason I don't want to give it away is because here's one thing I like about it. It keeps sort of changing the game. Okay. You you know, uh, you think it's about one thing and then something else happens. You're like, Oh, okay. So we're in this world now. Oh no. Something else has happened. Oh, now it's a, like a body swap comedy or something for like, it keeps like changing. Uh, I literally know nothing about the story and I'm actually, I'm yeah, kind of content good. to keep it that way. Um, so yeah, uh, it's definitely very pleasurable to watch 
pretty to look at. It doesn't seem particularly deep, but you've got good performers. You've got Jimmy Fox, Tina Fey. You've also got, um, Oh, what is her name? Uh, from the, the, from the hunt for the wilder, the hunt for the hunt for the wilder people, the child protective services lady. Oh, uh, I don't recall. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah. Uh, she's so great. Um, uh, yeah, you've got good performances. I, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not mad at soul. It, it was, it's fine. Uh, a movie I, next up a movie. Okay. Weird connection between these two. So the co-director, you know, we know Pete doctor. That's a name from Pixar. Mm-hmm. The co-director is Kemp powers. Kemp powers is a writer and a playwriter. I'm sorry, playwright. And he wrote the play one night in Miami. And I watched oh. Regina King's one night in Miami. There you go. Um, not even knowing the connection until after when I was writing my reviews um, that I realized it was the same uh, person. Uh, but I, this is uh, one night in Miami is a movie that when you and I with, with Scott and Julie did our winter, winter movie preview, I uh, voiced my skepticism. I think you were on the same page. Yeah. Like it's based on a play. It's the directorial debut of an actor. That's not always a, 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 a good, uh, a good thing, a good omen. Uh, but you know what? I really liked it. I, I don't know how you'll feel because like Ma Rainey, it's very much a play. It does not very much. It doesn't really pretend not to be a play. Uh, it is four characters talking and occasionally they split off and it's two characters talking, yeah. but it is just people talking mostly Somehow, in I one motel because, room, the entire movie. I think because the four characters are sort of these bigger than life types, I imagine there's probably a certain, a natural theatricality to them anyway. So somehow yeah, it seems true. like it would bother me less. And the guy, uh, what's his name? Who plays, uh, I guess, I guess I'll say, I feel, I feel like I should call him Muhammad Ali, but within the movie, he's Cassius Clay. He's, sure. The movie takes place before he has changed his name. So I'll, sure. I'll call him Cassius Clay, but that's not me denying who he, who he is. Um, uh, Eli Gorey is he named is his name. He's great. He's magnetic. And it's just a great Cassius Clay impression that he's doing uh he's fantastic um uh the the most uh i I like aldous hodge a lot as an actor jim brown is probably the least uh interesting character in the movie but that's not really his fault he does a really good job but the movie is like i said it's for people but it's really the malcolm x and sam cook show kingsley benadir and leslie odom jr are clearly the 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 two people at the front of this movie because what it ends up being about with these four larger than life you know uh, figures getting together is which one of them is the odd man out because Malcolm X sure. is not like a celebrity in this in the sense that these two athletes and this singer are right he's right. he's a political figure not like a beloved uh, celebrity so is he the odd man out or of the four of them, Sam Cook is the only one who is not outspoken about racial injustice. And, sure. and he's, so is, is he the odd man out? Uh, and so they, they butt heads a lot, the, uh, hmm. the entire movie and they're, uh, both fantastic and both make great arguments for their points of view. It's a very well-written play by, nice. uh, by Kent powers. Um, I, yeah, having gone in skeptical, I was really surprised by, uh, how much I really enjoyed one night in Miami. Uh, is that me or do you have another one? No, you're up next. Okay. So once again, it's a rewatch. 
I will repeat what I always say when we do a movie journal, which is Jen and I and another friend are working our way through the Star Wars movies. And uh, so next up here is uh, Return of the Jedi, which it was probably my favorite when I was a kid because I just loved Jabba's palace. Like that was uh, it, that was that was like the creative part for me. Like, oh, look at all these weird creatures, including the Rancor and Jabba himself and all that. Um, and as time went on, like that's it's it's a movie that I still appreciate on that level. Um, but I also like how focused it gets on Darth Vader and Luke and like their scene at the end with the emperor is like really emotionally intense and really effective. And I think John Williams like finds new tones to hit, uh, in that. And, uh, and yeah, it's, I don't have much to say about the film beyond that. You, you do start to, I'm, I, I know that uh, like the guys at red letter media have said this a million times, but uh, you know, you start to see a little bit of, of uh, the wear on star Wars already when you okay. get to return the Jedi, it's like, Oh, they're building another death star. Um, it's like, okay, so it would appear worse. And, and Jabba's palace could even be seen as its own type of Moss Eisley. It's the same sort of instinct. Um, but uh, yeah, but for the most part, as a deepening of, of character specifically with Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, uh, I think it works really well. And by the time they get to the third one, like they, the, the director and George Lucas and everybody, they have such an eye for iconography. Like they understand, like, this is how you put, you portray the empire, you know, like it starts off with, with Darth Vader arriving at the new, at the new death star and, everything about it just seems so big and insurmountable. And so it's a, it's a film that I definitely, I mean, I, I don't know the last time I, I saw it. And, uh, but since seeing it, I think I have come to appreciate art direction and a sense of scale and a sense of tone a lot more. And I feel like this film definitely has it. And yeah, I know people don't really like the Ewoks and that's understandable, um, that's maybe my least favorite part of the film, just indoor in general. It's like, yeah, the woods great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I still, I still like the movie. Uh, if only those Ewoks were searched for truffles in those woods. Ex exactly. Oh my gosh. Then we know all their names. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up for me is, a. Uh, uh, a somewhat re I, I wouldn't, it's not old enough to be a Hollywood, a holiday classic, but a somewhat recent, like 21st century holiday movie that I'd never seen, um, that Natalie and I decided to watch. Uh, and that's Thomas Bazooka's the family stone. Have, okay. have you seen the family stone? I have not. I heard good things about it and not good things about it. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I, it, it has both of those things. I think it's more good than bad. Um, and that's, I'm saying that as an unabashed, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker fan. I, sure. uh, I, I always, I always love her. Um, and so I don't know if you know the story, but, uh, Dermot Maroney is bringing his girlfriend home to family for, to family Christmas for the first time. He comes from a sort of like very, uh, um, open-minded type of, uh, uh, you know, lefty granola artsy family. And she's a very sort of, uh, button down, you know, came from the wealthy, uh, part of town type of girl. And there's obviously some culture clashes, uh, yeah. there. Um, and so, uh, I think she's terrific. I think all, a lot of the characters are, are terrific in the movie or a lot of the actors are terrific in the movie. Um, 
it does have that thing of because there's multiple like pairings and romances that happen it has that movie thing of like uh they feel like they have like they have to have an i love you at the end but it's like these characters just met like two and a half days ago i don't i i never i never buy that um but what i'll what i'll finally say is the movie is i think very well written has a lot of very good performances i don't see it becoming a perennial holiday favorite for me because a lot of the characters are unpleasant and behave unpleasantly toward one another for most of the movie. It ends up in a good place. But, um, if you go in thinking, uh, Oh, this is a movie that's going to, you know, the, uh, the, um, uh, hard, no hard nose button down, you know, uptight, uh, character is going to learn a lesson and loosen up. Um, no, as we see the, uh, the, the, the crunchy hippie, uh, family are often just as judgmental, if not more so. And, uh, um, there's a lot of characters being just not nice to each other for most of this movie. Um, that doesn't make it bad. It's good. I just don't see myself revisiting it uh, every year. Uh, and next up a movie that I just think is unfortunately not good. Uh, Cornel Mondrosco's pieces of a woman. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to like it. It's got, uh, um, good cast. Uh, yeah, but also, you know, uh, I think you and I, we were talking about this off mic with, with Terrence, um, the other day. Uh, it's when, when someone like a Shia LaBeouf has very, Oh, sure. Recent, recent public uh, accusations and scandal or ever, you know, like literally like days before I watch the movie, it's going to be hard for me to put that out of my mind. Um, even though he is, he is, he is good in the movie. Vanessa Kirby's good in the movie. Uh, uh, Ellen Burstyn is good. I feel like I, to talk about our like fantasy award season uh, thing that we do, sure. I've got, Ellen Burson for supporting actress and having watched the movie, I feel, I don't think that's a good choice because a, I don't think the movie is very good, but also she's actually not in it very much. She does have one big monologue. That's clearly like, okay, well they've got their, if she gets nominated for an Oscar, they've got a clip. They've got a whole like five to seven minutes to pick from here. (laughs) That's a, that's a big monologue. And that could be enough, but I feel like uh, this year there's, uh, there's too much competition and someone who, doesn't have a lot of screen time although you know like she's a well-known actress she's yeah she's got oscar pedigree and it's like oh look at what she's doing with such minimal screen time so it is it it could turn out well it's hard to say it's possible but i i still i don't think the movie is getting enough uh uh attention not attention but enough praise to to keep her in the conversation and including that for me i didn't i I didn't really uh like it very much it's um i the the opening is really interesting you you know you meet the characters and then i don't know if you've heard about the uh the not the very opening sequence but the centerpiece early sequence is a like 25 minute single take childbirth sequence yikes Um, yeah uh um and it's just so for 25 minutes it's just Vanessa kirby shia labeouf and then molly parker who's a great actress um plays the i guess midwife the thing that like uh i don't know i i I don't i didn't grow up in a culture that had like doulas and midwives or whatever that seems like a thing that like people i'm friends with now probably do that sort of thing um but uh uh i don't really understand i don't know i don't 
it's not my place to judge. We're not having any, any, any kids. I'm not, right. I'm not judging, but it's just, it's a weird world that I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. Like granted our situation was, was unique because there was the adoption thing, but uh, yeah, we were in a hospital nurses it worked out fine. Yeah. That's the, the, that's what I'm used to. So again, I'm not judging people who have midwives or whatever. I'm just saying it's a world that I don't uh, uh, understand, but Molly Parker is great as the, as the midwife. Um, and then I don't want to go into the story too much. Um, I think this is a movie where thematically I'm really on board with the idea of questioning what is the, what is the worth of justice like to an individual? Like, is it, um, is seeking justice actually a healing act or is it prolonging the, the hurt? Um, right. Uh, I'm, I'm really on board with those kind of questions. And I like that they're being air, aired out here, but uh, most of the movie just goes on too long. It's kind of uh, a drag. And then it ends with a big, like uh courtroom sequence, which yeah. as I've said before, movies that are not courtroom dramas that then turn into courtroom dramas for the end is I'm usually not going to be into that. Yeah. Um, all right. It feel, that's know. that's usually like oh well we want our characters to make big pronouncements how can we do that right uh in a way that seems natural oh i got it um okay so next up for me is uh again a, a film that i've uh that it's a rewatch but i it has been a long time since i saw it and that is danny boyle's millions um oh, which we just talked about uh did we in what capacity <laughs> Your brain must be fried. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. Our, our Christmas episode was about uh, uh, British uh, Christmas movies. Oh, that's and right. We yes, yes. About millions. Yeah. Like not just we talked about it at length. <laughs> I know, but that was a, it was a couple of weeks ago. I'm so tired. You don't understand. <laughs> I don't um, understand. But uh, but yeah, uh, I think what I like about it is that it is a. You've seen it, right? Uh, yeah, I saw it when it was okay. new. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's, there's such potential for it to be sentimental and it is sentimental, but it's Danny Boyle sentimental who through his art direction and his pacing and his rhythm managed to sort of not fully undercut that, nor is he even really trying to dilute it. Like this is just the way he makes movies and there's just a, a, a pacing to it that it doesn't it doesn't dwell too much on any one emotion, uh, you know, cause we have this adorable little kid who talks to saints and all that. Like it'd be so easy to turn that into just a run of the mill, uh, a, you know, cute movie, yeah. but it isn't, it isn't that like it's a film that puts you on edge at times. And even when the characters aren't necessarily in any kind of real danger. Uh, but it's, it's, a, but to me, because it's not actively trying to emotionally manipulate me. Uh, it actually gets me more, um, you know, especially uh, it's, it's a film that uh, I think I mentioned this already uh, when we talked about the, the, the British Christmas movies, the idea that uh, the, the main character, his, his mother has died and he has a vision of her. And, and uh, there's a couple moments in there that just really resonate with, with me. And so the film really works on, on a number of levels, but I could also see someone it, it, like it's available on Disney plus. And I can imagine somebody 
thinking it looks pretty good you know they watch the trailer they throw it on and then they get a danny boyle movie and they're like i don't know what to do with this you know i don't know what to do like not that it's extremely inaccessible but if you if you heard the premise you would not expect that execution and it's it's interesting to i I imagine there's a lot of families whose christmases were not ruined but uh frustrating because of the way millions is presented on disney plus versus how it actually is uh all right uh we watched uh, i'm just saying we now uh sure. <laughs> because I, everything i do i do with my wife that's the way that the pandemic works uh we watched rada blanks the 40 year old version again still don't like the title yeah it's getting good reviews i wish i didn't have to keep looking at that title yeah i but i i i did like the movie although i would say like a lot of um, uh, a lot of people are describing it as a comedy and I guess that's what it feels. I don't know. It it feels more, it feels kind of almost diaristic. Uh, um, you know, Rada, Rada blank plays a character named Rada. Who's a playwright. Like it's, she's clearly playing a version of, of, of herself. And she, uh, basically, um, frustrated that none of her plays are getting produced she decides on a whim to take a career and to take a, a a turn into trying to become a rapper she starts writing uh mm-hmm. rhymes and and meets this younger man who makes beats and and uh and then almost as soon as she starts doing that suddenly one of her plays uh gets uh is going to get produced and the a bigger scale than anything she's ever had produced so suddenly she's uh she went from having nothing going on artistically in her life and being frustrated to being torn between, um, uh, two different, different paths. Um, but, uh, that's almost too much talking about like the, the plot. It, it really is just about this, uh, a, 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 a 40 ish year old black woman in, uh, in, in New York city, uh, navigating what that, what that means, how people see her because she's a woman, how people see her because of her age, how people see her because of her, her color and how she internalizes all that. Um, uh, and, but what, you know, saying those are like issues. This isn't an issue movie. This is a very personal, uh, movie. It's about her. Um, and it, it has the, you know, kind of like I talked about just another girl on the IRT, like, I don't know, two hours ago or whatever. Um, uh, it, it has that kind of same New York indie feeling of like, I have, I feel a certain way. I've got a camera. I'm going to see what I can do. Um, and, and it, I, so it has that sort of on the fly feeling uh, a lot. And, uh, uh, I don't think it's that funny, but I did, uh, really enjoy the movie. Okay. Oh yeah. I've got another one to do. Yes. Um, okay. Another, um, uh, Christmas movie that I, I would say is old enough is 1995. So it's old enough to be considered a classic. Uh, and it's only kind of Christmassy, but we watched while you were sleeping, which I've never had never seen before. Okay. But, uh, I'm a big, uh, Bullock Stan Bullock head. Sure. Um, so I was, I was all, uh, all for it. I also like Bill Pullman. Have you seen while you were sleeping? Not in many years, but yes, okay. I've seen it. Um, so uh if you don't know the premise uh Sandra Bullock has a crush on Peter Gallagher she's never spoken to him and then she 
he gets knocked on the train tracks and she saves his life, but he's in a coma and she through a series of wacky misunderstandings, the, his family comes to think that she's his fiance. And so she kind of hangs around pretending to be his fiance and then meets his brother played by Bill Pullman. And they start to actually uh, feel something for one another. Um, And I would say it, it works in the way that romantic romance movies and romantic comedies in general uh, should work, which is that Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman have chemistry. And I believe that they are falling for each other. And that's kind of all that really mostly what uh, all that really needs to happen. Uh, I will say, um, Natalie and I were kind of split on this. She didn't like it. Okay. So, okay. Remember on the last movie journal, I think I talked about how, uh, we both didn't like you've got mail. Right. And Natalie and I were split on while we were sleeping. She disliked while you were sleeping for some of the same reasons of you got mail, because there's this deception at the right. core of it. And she like, uh, felt that a lot of Sandra Bullock's behavior was, was, was gross and she couldn't, uh, forgive her. I understand that, but I think the difference between what's going on in you've got mail and in while you were sleeping is that you, and you've got mail. The deception is that there's also a manipulation, She's sure. that, that he, you know, he's, um, uh, he's manipulating her. Whereas, uh, here she's just like, she, and she didn't even tell a lie, but she allowed a misunderstanding. Right. And so she just got herself in deeper and she's just trying to keep her head above water. To me, that's enough of a, like, that's a good, like comedic, a uh, standard comedic premise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, it works. Sandra Bullock sells it. And, uh, yeah, I like the movie. All right. So next up for me is, uh, I, I talked about, I, I do remember talking about this or at least mentioning it, uh, during the, the, the British Christmas, uh, episode we did, uh, as a film I had not seen. And that is, uh, the FX, uh, a Christmas Carol directed by Nick Murphy, the three, it was going to be like a mini series. And then they just cut it together into like one three hour long movie that stars Guy Pierce as, uh, as Ebenezer Scrooge. And, um, I was going to ask, I thought it was a miniseries, but I guess. Yeah, it's listed as that. But to my knowledge, uh, it is it's only ever been presented as this one thing. Um, And uh, man, it's it's tough. It's a tough movie to talk about because, you know, they're they're doing a twist on A Christmas Carol. There are things they incorporate and things they don't. Um, They are actively trying to make Ebenezer Scrooge like not just like, Oh, an old skin flit. No, he's monstrous in in the film Uh, to such an extent that the film actually explores something I find very interesting, um, which is it talks about the idea of forgiveness um, and that uh, certainly forgiveness is not something that, that a person should ever expect. Um, I'm very much a proponent of the idea of forgiveness, obviously, but I don't think it's something a person should, should expect, nor should it necessarily uh, motivate someone to do good things. Like it's like, I did these terrible things. I, I wish I hadn't. I'm sorry for the fact that I did them. I would love if you forgive me, but even if you don't, I'm going to be on the right path. Like that's ultimately, I think what the film is, is arguing. And I, I think that's a really interesting question, especially with something like a Christmas Carol, where historically this is a character that we know just completely flips and, and is on the right path. But what does that mean for the people he's hurt? Um, 
So there's, there's some complexity that I really, really appreciate, but I also think that they push it. So they push it so hard to make him a, a, a horrible person that after a while there's like, well, I don't know. Like I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like uh, it's, it's intriguing, but then also the structure of it is very strange. They spend so much time on establishing who Scrooge is, who Bob Cratchit is. Uh, They spend time with uh, Marley and, uh, and then they spend so much time on the ghost of Christmas past that they like, this is a three hour thing. The first two hours are present day and uh, ghost of Christmas past. Then the last hour is the ghost of Christmas present future. And then his, his turn. And it's like, that's a little bit lopsided. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because they are essentially kind of making the argument that, which I think is again, interesting is that like hurt people hurt people. And that here's how Ebenezer Scrooge was hurt uh, earlier in his life. So it's a film. I can't, I can't dismiss it by any stretch. I think, I also think Guy Pierce is doing amazing work, but uh, I can't dismiss it, but it's like, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a slog. And, and I think maybe they, they, push too far, but it takes something, you know, and it capitalizes on that to ask very, very pertinent modern questions and whether it always succeeds is, uh, is another issue, but it was definitely an interesting watch. And I don't know if I'd recommend it insofar as say you'll enjoy it, but I, I would recommend it insofar as like, it's fu- it's fun to see people do things with, with familiar material. All right. Um, I, uh, I've only got two more left. So you should only have one more left. Am I yes. right? Okay. Uh, I watched the documentary by, uh, Camila Forbes. It's called between the world and me. And it is a documentary that is an adaptation of a nonfiction book. Um, the writer Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote a book called between the world and me. That was, it's, um, sort of, uh, formatted as a letter to his teenage son, but it's, almost kind of like a memoir and a bunch of essays about, uh, being black in America. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, uh, that's, that's the premise of, of the book and the premise of the movie b- version of between the world and me is that it has, it's composed of just sections of the book that are read and performed by like actors that you've heard of, like Marsha okay. Ali, Angela Bassett, um, uh who else uh felicia rashad is in there joe morton is in there wendell pierce uh mm. uh is in there um yara shahidi uh, a lot of oh courtney v vance um nice. uh well you'll like because i know you're a this is us fan susan kletchy watson oh yeah um it, it is one of the 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 readers and so there it's a lot it's almost like uh um you know, it's monologues, uh, um, you know, filmed in various locations, directly addressing the camera and then filled with documentary style, sort of like stock footage and other like B-roll and stuff to sort of like, uh, illustrate what they're talking about. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it. It's, uh, um, I think it's good. I think it's quite good. Um, yeah, but it almost, it, it did almost make me feel like, can I say that I've read between the world and me now? <laughs> like this is yeah. almost like I watched an audio book of it, but, um, 
Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Um, I always have a hard time because I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks these days. Uh, and it's hard for me. Like, I, I, I listen to Needful Things. And it's like, you know, I put in the time and I was paying attention and I really loved it. But I, if you were to say, hey, have you read Needful Things? I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> uh, yes, kind of. Like, I, I would be very, I would feel like a fraud if I said I'd read it. Um, okay. And then finally for me is a movie that given the circles you run in Tyler, I would not be surprised if you've heard of this movie. Okay. It's called gun and a hotel Bible. I have heard of it. I know nothing about it. Uh, somebody in some Facebook group, a group I'm a part of mentioned it. Well, again, this seems to be the theme of the, uh, episode. It's based on a play. Okay. Um, the two men who wrote the play are also the two stars of the movie. One of them is named Bradley Gosnell and his brother is the director Raja Gosnell who directed like the Scooby-Doo movies and the Smurfs movies. Okay. And, and he directs this movie based on his brother's uh, play. I would say Raja Gosnell brings some, some uh, journeyman type craftsmanship to it keeps things you know a little more visually uh interesting but there's no escaping the fact that this is uh it's just not a very good it's a very superficial play it's it's less a play and it almost feels like what you've talked about having to do i'm not sure what you would call them uh in a in a church setting but like a sketch or a scene that sketch. Is, sketch a sketch is usually thing. yeah so um but then I also, given that I've talked to you, you, you and I have talked about, or you've talked and I've listened about a Christian film before, the fact that there are curse words in this movie makes me think maybe the Christian audiences wouldn't appreciate it. I'm not sure. They, uh, some of them would, and others really would not. It would not get like mainstream Christian movie fan acceptance. Um, so basically there's a, a man played by Bradley, Bradley Gosnell, co-writer, brother of Roger Gosnell um, checks into a hotel room and we see him like he's got a gun with him. He's looking out the window. He's clearly shifty. He's got something planned. Um, and then well, there's another man in the room, but we, we quickly realize this isn't another man. This is the Bible, the hotel by the Gideon Bible. The character's name is Gid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our main character who his name is Pete, I think turns out he is uh, n- not very, he's not exactly church going now, but he is very familiar with the Bible and therefore is well equipped to have debates about the the Bible or in this yeah. case with the Bible. So basically it's an, it's an hour long movie. That's basically a man arguing with himself about what he has planned for the, the morality of what he has planned that night. Or if morality is a concept uh, that, um, deserves uh, much credence at all but it's it still just feels like these two uh writers just airing out conversations like building a loose dramatical structure to just have conversations about like contradictions within the bible it's it's very superficial uh and i i, I couldn't get on on board with it um and it, everybody, couldn't, it, does, it couldn't sound more like a skit yeah yeah um but i i also realized like it's not this is a movie made for christian audiences or at least audiences who 
are familiar with the Bible because it's not the, the arguments they're having are not like they don't have much application outside of starting from a point of the, the Bible is our, our, uh, our, 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 a basis for, for a system of belief or, or, uh, or for morality. If you don't, it's sort of like, I've said this, this is another like Christian-ish film. I've talked about like how the passion of the Christ is a movie that doesn't make sense if you don't go in already having certain feelings sure. about Jesus Christ. And I feel like the Bible is the same thing in this movie. If you don't already go in like agreeing with the movie that, okay, the Bible is, uh, um, uh, is, is of a certain type and level of import then yeah. the movie's not for you, but it's also yeah. just, I, I, it's also just very dumb. And superficial. Yeah. And it, yeah, I don't, I don't begrudge. I'm mean, obviously I am a Christian, but like, I don't begrudge a movie being for any particular, any specific audience, but anytime you do that, you run the risk of, of pandering or, or taking shortcuts or relying on that audience's uh, goodwill or forgiveness. And I feel like if you take that for granted, or if you take those shortcuts, if you don't put in the the heavy lifting, like you're, yeah, then you're not doing anybody any favors. There's also, I, I, I didn't say, I put this in my, cause I reviewed the movie and I put this in my review. The other co-writer whose name is, I think Daniel Florin, something like that, mm-hmm. who plays, who plays the Bible. I don't think this is intentional, but because it hurts the movie's premise, but he comes off as almost slimy or sleazy. Like, I don't Mm. think it's intentional, but he, he seems like a, like a, a a cheap sleazy door to door salesman. And I don't Uh. think that's, that that's not what the movie should be. Um, Oh, also he says, (sighs) The, the premise is that he's in this, the Bible doesn't get open very often. So he doesn't, he, he's not up to date on the modern world. Okay. And so he said, when he's asking about the modern world, he says the phrase is Batman still a thing. And it's like, well, you know what? If you hadn't been opened in 30 years, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't talk like that. You wouldn't exactly. say things are still a thing. That's right. a, that's a 21st century uh, uh, development that I'm yes. not used to, but I guess I'm a cranky old man. It still sounds, it still sounds uh, sweaty and uh, self-conscious to me when someone says, is that a thing? Or that's not even a thing. Yeah. It's, and there like was it. a time when that was like clever yeah. uh, or kind of funny. Like I remember Paul F. Tompkins said it in one of his bits once and it worked really well, uh, but that was a while ago. Well, Paul yeah. Thomas actually had a bit about how things that are just commonplace were once funny. He said, uh, yeah, I remember him saying, seeing on stage, him saying like the first person to say like, you got this and you got this, you do the math. I'll bet that was hilarious. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, my last movie is here we go. It is star Wars, the force awakens a film that uh, I've seen a few times. It's been a couple years and um yeah, it's. I mean, as I was saying with Return of the Jedi, you start to see uh, the limitations of the Star Wars universe. You get to The Force Awakens, a movie that I like, um, but it is definitely that soft re- reboot thing. Like, they really were not taking any risks at all. Uh, you've got a Death Star. You've got a, a, a sort of a, a loner from a desert planet who's going nowhere. You have a Darth Vader type. You have a mentor who shows up and, and dies. Um, 
so like there's you have an r2d2 type uh, droid so there's a lot going on uh, in the movie that that you're very familiar with but it feels so fresh like i jj abrams is just even though i don't care for rise of skywalker which I believe he co-wrote and I feel like he's not the strongest writer, but as a director, there's just like this nice rough and tumble quality to him. Like he really creates a sense of like immediacy and energy without a, without it ever feeling forced. I think maybe that, Oh, I'm not trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think with rise of Skywalker, that was part of my problem is he just rushes through everything so fast that I don't really get a chance to, to, emotionally connect with what's happening but here with the characters i think the actor the new actors are all very charming and charismatic and they have a lot of chemistry um and so yeah i think the film works really well and jen who has never really considered herself much of a star wars fan uh so we've been going through all these movies and i think she said that she liked this one the best of all of them um Mm -hmm. and i could totally see that it certainly has a, a modern sensibility uh but it's it's this really nice blend of practical effects and digital effects and not relying too much on, on one or the other and just doing what's necessary so that we can connect with the characters and the world they're a part of. So, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily I don't it's it's not my favorite of the bunch, but I do like it. It's just easy to watch. It's fun to watch. I'm invested. Uh, I'm I I feel the things they need me to feel and I don't feel manipulated to do that. So, yeah. Uh, and next up is Last Jedi, a movie I really love. Uh, yeah, I would say I love it. It's not perfect, uh, but I really I really love it. And so I'm I'm excited to, to talk more about that. But in the meantime, yeah, Force Awakens, it, it really holds up.